Welcome to Occult of Personality, esoteric podcast extraordinaire. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky. This is episode number 203, featuring an interview with documentary filmmaker, essayist, speaker, podcaster, and more, Niles Heckman. Occult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to chamberofreflection.com, our membership site, whose subscribers aid us in the cause of informed, authentic, and accessible interviews about Western esotericism. Thank you. Because of your support, we're able to bring you recordings of this caliber and many more to come. Now, in episode number 203, Niles Heckman joins us to discuss his path and his work in a most interesting conversation. Niles is a documentary filmmaker and photographer, an essayist and speaker whose work focuses around themes of ageless wisdom for our modern times, sharing insights in his films, spoken word essays, podcast, alternate media appearances, street photography blog, and in mentorships with others. He is the director of the feature film Transmutation, the documentary series Shamans of the Global Village, the short Balanced Opposites, and a collection of short-form documentary narrations. Please see his website at nilesheckman.com where you can also find his podcast an infinite path. I really enjoyed speaking with Niles again. The first time was when we spoke for his podcast for episode 91 entitled Some of the Most Amazing Teachings to Date, which I have to say has probably been the most in-depth interview I've done recently exploring my own path and recent revelations. And I tried to do the same for Niles in this interview, and I learned quite a bit, including that his desire is to inspire and empower by pairing media with ageless wisdom to benefit others. I respect Niles because he's an authentic seeker who's willing to dive in and do the work required to learn and grow, and I appreciate the way that he connects with others and shares his explorations with the world. You may as well. If so, you can support his work at nilesheckman.com slash membership. The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos, and the outro music is Into the Infinite by Logic Gate. What would you say first sort of brought you into any sort of interest in the esoteric or the occult or the paranormal or the strange? How did that happen? It was two main things to be apophatic about it. The first one was probably in my teens asking the question, why is no one else interested in the things I'm interested in reoccurringly to myself? Mm. And then I guess a little bit later on, it was why is everybody doing the things they why is everybody constantly doing things they more or less don't want to be doing most of the time? Mm. And after many layers of the onion of that being peeled away, you are essentially led to realize that real insight comes from individuals from just like what I said 
bottom-up sources and never top-down sources, right? Like you're never going to get real insight about what's really going on or the nature of reality or the mystery from Madison Avenue or amazon.com or even, you know, anything formal or structural, even things such as like Ted talks, you know, that are these kind of very top weighted heavy things. And so many of the individuals, what from bottom up sources that I found, you know, people such as like Dion fortune or R.A. Schwaller, Delubix or Jung or Gurdjieff were had bodies of work and material that was in the realm of esotericism and occultism. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of a, you know, follow Alice down the rabbit hole from there. Okay. Yeah. So that's a, yeah, that's it. Sounds fairly familiar. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a lot of people's steps through the, the mystery. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly understandable that in this culture that you discover at some point along the way that, you're going to have to explore some dark holes and corners and sort of forgotten places to try to find anything that resembles even an approach to the things you're looking at. Yeah. It's like you have to go through shadow to get to light. Don't you, you have to look in places that are far of reach. I mean, there's some old saying that says like the, the, driest deserts and the highest mountains and the oldest forests, right? And that's where you'll find the stone. And I I think that through the processes of finding books that are off the beaten path material that have that insight and, and depth to them, which much of cultism does. I mean, obviously you can read, you can find these books and then you end up finding people and then you find up, you end up pilgriming, pilgriming through experience to places like that in many steps through the process. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me too, like in our modern age, it's so easy to really, you know, you could just go online and find a text and read it if you have an internet connection and a smartphone. But I thought, I think of like the stories of people in the past, like uh, the way Gurdjieff had to travel like across all of Asia and North Africa and just like monumental travels and experiences and meetings and just, it's hard to really imagine or like Madame Blavatsky is similar type situation. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it, it shows the level of commitment, doesn't it? Somebody's got to be so committed to the process and invested in. They have to be more conf- more interested in states of mind and following what works for them rather than being weighted down with material things that limit your capability to be fluid and travel easily. Right. Yeah, at some on some level I think they recognize that the things that they were seeking were going to be found in very obscure, far-flung places and require (laughs) them to live by their wits and not be encumbered by a lot of things that most people are encumbered by. Exactly. And I think that's just why in our modern lives today, even more 
even folks that wouldn't know about aspects of what you talk about oft, oftentimes in your material or on this podcast, they do understand the importance of living lighter, you know, and, and tidying up and this kind of tiny house mindset or people that have long since lived on like a boat, for example, know this, where it's like, you gotta, if you bring something on, you gotta take something off and you gotta be very live life. You gotta be the kind of samurai on the path and you gotta just have your wits about you, like you say, and not be so spread out, spread thin, um, top heavy again, bottom up, not top down. From there, what, what happened next? Like what were your, what did you explore and, and how did you come to be doing like podcasts and videos and exploring these things more publicly? Yeah. Creating a variety of alternate media, I guess you could say, well, I mean, it's a long story. I mean, everything I guess like I'm about to share is my current level of understanding, which I guess you could say is, I like to sometimes state is better said as overstanding, you know, for we do not stand under anyone as we decult away through the etymology of that word, for example, as our linguistics, you know, often capture us in word spells, which far too, too many times have intent to deceive. And I'll say this, this, I sometimes say this disclaimer because most of the time I feel like I'm such a student in these areas and in no way claiming a depth ship, but with still so much to learn, right? So extrinsically through my processes, I've essentially become a documentarian, which is basically just a fancy way of, you know, large word of saying a documentary photographer and filmmaker, and then an essayist as well. And the works I output currently at this time-space vector are from a skill set that is a reflection of what is more really going on inside, which is extrinsically myself as a student of occultism and from someone living in the United States of America currently, the Western esoteric tradition. So I think our inner lives, our innermost, which is our real lives, are, you know, on this personal front consist of a series of studies and practices in line with those areas of focus. And that became the real me through my young adult years into my 20s and 30s, which I wouldn't necessarily say to Joe Sixpack at the barbecue, but I would say to an audience as sophisticated as yours, Greg. And my experiences through my growth has primarily come from two main head-cracking, mind-opening, somewhat third-eye-squeegeeing disciplines, which I have felt the most pull towards through my various experiences and travels and relationships. And they are entheogenic shamanism, which I know sometimes is looked down on in certain occult groups. And, you know, even so much as you might say it is in traditional orthodoxy, yet if one has been exposed to shamanic experiences and their deeply esoteric nature, it's quite undeniable that you can see how it's been, I could see how it's something that's been kind of the outer orbiting focus in the courtyards of this podcast a bit. But another primary pull has been hermetic alchemy through the years. And some of the concepts of which I know we can focus more of this conversation regarding specifically in terms of the alchemical relationship of the sun and moon, but I've always been so drawn to what's above us and the cosmos and, you know, the heavens above through my young adult years and through my past career working in Hollywood. So I've kind of always tried to transition some of those things into the new work from the old work. And, um, you know, as much as one could state their role in the commercial marketplace, which is inherently just a degradation, you know, one could say something like, oh, I'm a writer. And then, well, the next question is, well, what do you write about? And, you know, it could be anything as uh, from full spectrum as writing, you know, trashy romance novels instead of, or else it could be something as like a deep, dense philosophical text. And I would say as a documentarian, my work focuses on what I'm passionate about, which is themes of the subjects of 
and you know, out, those subjects mentioned in the outstretching areas as well. And another way I may, might like distill what I've become and what my work is, is it addresses modern problems with themes of ancient wisdom. Or I guess, you know, Paul Foster Case used to say ageless wisdom, which is kind of an even in, more interesting way to say that, I guess. But being massively, inf- I've always been massively influenced by the spoken word, mainly from teacher to student transmission, since teachings are usually privately passed from one node on the network to another in rooms. And you might, you know, such as you might find in some sort of specific group or some sort of mystery tradition. So through those great intakes, both through headphones and even more importantly in person with others of excellence, sometimes wise elders, you know, that I've had very unfortunate, very fortunate experience to be around. It's given me much insight and knowledge. And what I tend to do is use the projects as catalysts for continuing experience. So, you know, allowing for travels and journeys, both inner and outer, which have, you know, synchronistically led me to places I never really thought I would go, you know, oftentimes doing things that we never thought we would necessarily be doing, you know, such as, you know, partaking in some sort of ceremony or ritual or pilgrimage with various types of individuals like that you would have spoken to in the past, you know, like mystics or shamans or alchemists and some inner sources as well. So as, as that's, you know, happened and it's just been more and more of a, of a way that as a creator of media, I like, I document life through the spoken word, either doing documentary narrations in which I'm, I do the voiceover David Attenborough style, or else I write essays, which I, tend to narrate. There's a spoken word component to my essays and I yeah, host a podcast, which is really me just documenting life-changing conversations and also have occasional private consultation with others in the line of a transmission of insight that I can, you know, do my small, ever so small part in sharing. And the largest brushstroke projects are documentaries, which seemingly have more, more pull towards occult and esoteric subjects, such as our feature film transmutation and our short film balanced opposites. So, well, this seems like a good opportunity to, to talk about those a little bit more. Um, so, why don't we start with? Would it be okay to talk about balanced opposites first? Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So, this is a really interesting uh, video. Uh, I think, in my opinion, I enjoyed watching it, and I think it's. Uh, like it was really enjoyable in terms of like the graphic imagery, your narration, um, the musical background, um, the way it's put together. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the video and, and who was involved and, and what you were hoping to create? Yeah. So balanced opposites is this, it's about an eight minute long short film and, of course, when you do things in these areas, it's you're always going to be limited with resources and budget. So it's something I essentially put together myself from research of some other other folks has put out their material on the page. You know, there's elements of um, what's talked about in it in Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. I should also give credit to there's a gentleman named Richard Cataro who put out some great work on the subject of the alchemical relationship of the sun and moon, and then. I mean, in terms of, you know, alchemy being essentially the science and art of machinery of changing the nature of reality and evolution, it's to some extent, I feel like alchemy is such a thing where it's like, how dare you even speak on it, especially as a student of these things. But one thing that I will to kind of caveat the setup for is that 
esoterically, just to give a little hint on alchemy, which sometimes people don't realize is that, you know, we have these four elements, of course, but that are both physical and energetics into the body. You know, you could say the tetragrammatron or the yadhe vadhe, and you have the air of the east, the fire of the south, the water of the west, and the earth of the north. So I think about the body, like what does our body intake every day, right? We, we breathe air, we bring in fire from the sun or the moon. Water is the most crucial element to all of life. And we eat natural foods or foods that are hopefully natural out of the ground. You know, the best, most natural foods you can get is the most healthy way to do it. So that right there obviously shows that your body is an alchemical vessel. So one of the foundation texts that, of course, you've spoken on before, but I've always just found such a, a life-changing book is the Kybalion, you know, which is at some, some level a very introductory and surface level text. And so a lot of the, some of the material that was in the Kybalion is definitely things I extracted in the film. But we look at, you know, the seven hermetic principles of, which is essentially natural law, not the same as, or some say it's God's law, which is not the same as, of course, man's law, which much of the, what of, what, much of what man creates is a delusion of law versus what is naturally created by natural law. And I, I also had had a huge pull towards these seven hermetic principles, especially in the sense that there seems this consistency in seven with things. You know, we have, it's said that we set, we have seven chakras or we have seven days of the week, seven liberal arts, seven spheres. Sometimes it's said that there's seven mentions. So I, I had, I had remember, I remember reading from Eliphas Levi. He said the number seven is the septef- is the septenary and it's composed of the triad and the tetrad. Mm-hmm. which represents the magical power, which represents essentially magical power in its whole, whole scope. Mm-hmm. And all, he said, all things proceed by seven, return to seven, and are explained and explain themselves by seven, mm-hmm. which was really tantalizing. So the hermetic principles are something that I was always trying to just be conscious of in my day-to-day life. And one thing that I, I feel like is a resonance with them is that they are used by the controllers or what we could say are the puppet masters or maybe the mentally ill that run the commercial world, you know, not the real world of the magical world or what's inherent within nature, but the commercial marketplace, you know, because we have mentalism, you know, a principle of mentalism, which we all know the importance of meditation and prolonged concentration and fish, you know, fishing an ocean of infinite subjective consciousness or the new thought material of thoughts being causative and how much the doom and gloom of standard operating procedure if it bleeds, it leads. News tries to fear us into things. So there's a use of mentalism to, uh, of aspects of mentalism that are so important, but then how fear is always broadcast to us and fear being the mind killer. And we have correspondence, which of course is at the as above, so below, as within relationship to everything. We have vibration, which is so impor- important for your personal resonance to be uh, uh, something that embodies what you want to resonate to others and be an aspect of positively influencing others and not be a low resonant dynamic. And we know that the vibratory importance of light or pranayama and how nothing actually really rests. And we have polarity, which you just look at politics and how polarizing and divisive politics is and that how much polarity is oftentimes used in a negative way. Um, rhythm, you know, I would always see this aspect of rhythm and things that were just repeating, like cycles in life where as I was asking questions about things like, why are all these nonsensical things kind of popping up again? I, I always thought when I was younger, like, aren't we past this, right? So you look at the principle of rhythm of cycles repeating, even something like day and night or the waves coming in and out, but we have cause and effect. And 
one thing I sure noticed from the principle of cause and effect is that many people's lives through the ups and downs of people's lives are certainly their own doing, you know, which is, is kind of a tough swallow at times because who knows about the cards that people are dealt when they transit in here. And some people are certainly born with a better deck of cards than others, aren't they? But then many people's messed up lives as many people's lives are a mess. The society's a mess is involved with their own doing and contractually it's very important in life that we honor our contracts and a lot of things are put in front of us that if you do not honor your contracts there is a negative effect to that so i would look at cause and effect in that realm and then also the principle of gender which you know obviously everything has a male and female aspect to it but in terms of coming from these principles and always being interested in being a filmmaker i had spent a lot of time um, photographing the sun and moon because with as as somebody that shoots a lot of kind of b-roll and extra footage that i use for various projects not necessarily something that i know exactly what i'm going to do with it i do a lot of extra extra footage shooting i'd spent a lot of time shooting the sun and moon with long lenses so that was many hours which still continues today periodically of looking at the sun and moon through scopes and I also happen to have such a love as being an artist. Uh, I also happen to have such a love for alchemical symbolism. And that was kind of what was one of the initial stepping stones that drew me into alchemy as I had started seeing esoteric symbols. And in Balance Opposites and our other film, we certainly incorporate some of these esoteric images. And it was funny, at some point, it might have been through your show, Greg, or somewhere else, I remember reading about some occult book that had it was essentially a book on alchemy that was giving insights and sharing aspects of alchemy in it. But the real secret to the book was that all the real deal juicy secret sauce was in the symbols of the book. It wasn't in the text itself. You know, most of the really wise transmissions were coming through the symbols themselves. And so we can look at these two beautiful design, you know, divine celestial spheres up in our sky, which are the sun and moon. And the, I, I, I came to think of them essentially just as teaching tools, right? Which contain deep occult secrets that, not, that are not what most people think. And so if we extract something from the Kybalion, such as the principles, I could think of the principle of, let's say, gender and polarity and rhythm as things that really define the sun and moon. And, you know, these two beautiful, which are essentially these two beautiful cosmic spheres up in our sky. And, you know, you can speak to them not only from a spiritual perspective, but and now, uh, essentially, an alchemical perspective is they've been thought through the ages to be these two divine opposites. And that's what I started to encapsulate in the film. But to speak to them both essentially physically and then metaphysically, and in terms of the as above, so below relationship to them, to each other, we can look at larger galactic forces overall, right? So in, I think of something like in the Book of the Law, there's a, there's a section of it where it says every man and woman is a star and each star is to move on its own true orbit. And in our film, Transmutation, we say something similar at one, at one point where it says, essentially, we, we say stars are souls alive. And so the, it's such an important aspect to realize that we are so connected to what's above us. And so as I was always interested in this dynamic of the sun and moon and their special relationship to one another, I, there were a lot of things that were drawing into me through what was explained and shown through alchemy alchemical processes that speak to the sun and moon, you know, saying things that the soul of the sun is gold and the soul of the moon is silver and that these are living aspects in nature. You know, the sun is essentially antiseptic 
and the mu- the moon is is putrefying, right? So these things are opposites, as we always, as we see, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the sun and moon are resent are are very commonly seen in the alchemical engravings. I mean, it's almost like it's very. It seems like almost all the time when you see an alchemical piece of artwork, the sun and moon are present, and there's very specific and important reasons for that, right? So. The sun is oftentimes said to be the father and the moon is the mother, as it says in the Emerald, tab- Emerald Tablet. And the principle of gender, you know, we can see things such as patriarchy or matriarchy through time that we know that patriarchal systems oftentimes overbalance just the sun and not giving enough credit to the moon. And so oftentimes from the West, I know in the East, it's said that sometimes the patriarchy can be the other way around. Sometimes it's said that the moon represents the, the male aspect and the female represents the, the male aspect. But I had always been going off kind of the Western mindset of it in, in the, what I incorporated into the Balanced Opposites film. But I do buy that there's this outwardness of the masculine and the inwardness of the feminine, just like our physical bodies represent. So esoterically, I mean, every, every female is a woman on the outside and a man on the inside and vice versa. And that's very obvious to that. So it seems to me that when, whenever you look at standard operating procedure, scientific perspective of what the sun and moon are, I come to realize in this, uh, much of this has just happened in recent years that what we're in and what it's about and what the teaching tools of these two cosmic, beautiful spheres or even circles are is not what we've been told or not what we think. So just to look at them from the perspective of our point of view down here, to see that we have these two spheres that on the ecliptic, you know, are, are essentially transiting on a very similar path day to day. And that they are, you know, one is this beautiful night dark thing. And one is this beautiful day thing. To me, it seems like whatever we're in or wherever we are, that the polarity of that is very obvious that this is a special dynamic of how to correlate with what's inside of us in terms of not giving over credit to one thing or the other, right? Like we can see that in terms of the great work, finding equilibrium is so crucial and key and that, that we have this dynamic where these two things are above us for on average about 12 hours a day shows that we live lives through this system where we physically it's in equilibrium, you know, nature's teaching tools showing us the equilibrium of this beautiful procedure. And so that's a, that's a reflection of our as within, so without of how we can do that within ourselves of always having masculine traits that are balanced well and female traits that are, are in co co equilibrium. So much of what I've found through almost any conversation I have, especially something of, of philosophical depth that you and I would be interested in always does come down down to aspects of teachings through balance and importance of that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, my, what I've really come to, at least where at this particular point is that 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 sort of evenness is so crucial and the only place it's found really or it can be cultivated at least is through like a meditative contemplative practice otherwise I don't know. Otherwise, maybe you have it or you don't. I don't know. (laughs) Indeed. Well, it seems like so much of what always brings us fulfillment is from the inside, right? I mean, the inside is the cause and the outside is the effect. And as we talk about, let's say, the principle of mentalism, 
so much of what's outside is designed to be in low resonance and project fear onto us. So finding that empowerment through esoteric practices of what you can do on the inside brings you so much wisdom and insight and forward progress on your path. And that's at least what I've always found. And I find that there's correlation in my life with what I see happening in larger processes. Always, always. Yeah, I think what you say is valid. And and at the same time, I also, like, it's, it's interesting, like, watching the videos and hearing you talk about it, too, because, and I'm familiar with the, the way the symbolism is set up. Um, but yet I'm also now familiar with symbolism and ways of seeing that are like the exact opposite. For instance, like the sun and moon, like now working with the symbolic system where the, the sun is female and the moon is male. And, and likewise, where what is seen as outer is really it's really inner and what seems like the inner, which is like, you know, your feelings and thoughts are really the outer and understanding that relationship. Now it's like it, it really provides so much more context and depth, even to what you're saying and understanding it. So it's just, right. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I thought that was just a fascinating little notation it is. for me. It is. <laughs> Yeah, and I find that one one thing that has one thing that's so boggling about the sun and moon is that, and I highlight this in the film, is that they're exactly the same size in our sky. Mm -hmm. So if you if standard operating procedure within you know materialist science very much says that the what is it the sun is claimed to be ninety three million miles away and the and the moon is over a hundred thousand miles away. I can't remember the exact numbers, but to have them both be the exact equal size in our sky as well is so such a and nobody a, seems to really want to ponder that deeply if you will and and for meditation i mean that's something to certainly meditate right on oh, because yeah. the, i mean that you could get lost in just exploring that alone as a how could that be like it it does it makes no sense but you all you can you can trace it even like you know, even the fact that you can observe it doesn't even make sense. You know, like who's even seeing it? It's the whole thing is, <laughs> it's a complete house of cards. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think it's not just an impossible coincidence, but as said in the film, it's an important teaching to man, right? That rhythm and polarity are two of the essential building blocks of the mental construct that is the material world. And we also see you know, aspects of male and female and this perfect balance and characteristics of not only our bodies, but in the animal kingdom, you know, you look at many mammals that have this perfect symmetry of the body and of duality that's manifesting in, you know, perfect left-right aspects of, you know, you look at a horse down the center or you look at a, a human being down the center and, you know, you look at these same components up in the uh, celestial bodies, right? In yeah. our, our stars. And so that, that, from that perspective of whether or not it's from an East or, or West perspective, I mean, you look at something like the yin and yang of the East, it, it shows that everything in the universe has an antithetical opposite, you know, not speaking in, 
not to just speak in binaries, but to find subtleties within things, but and then always to return to balance. And yeah. the, the, the great need of the alliance of these energies is just so obvious in the world today because things are just so, you know, polarity is just firing on every possible cylinder. And I think people get so easily controlled on puppet strings when they let one aspect of polarity swing them to an extreme, whatever, regardless of political orientation or whatever system is being sold to you at the time. You know, I mean, humans esoterically are, are such complex beings and we have so many traits in terms of mind and heart and growth and decay and positive and negative and male and female. And balancing all aspects of self just lead to so much emotional stability and power within oneself. And then that's what the film draws in with the, what an eclipse is all about, right? Is that stability of power and that balance of these two perfectly same size spheres in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, to trans, you know, transcend opposites through equilibrium, you know, that's something that if you've ever been lucky enough to witness a solar eclipse, I, I saw the um, solar eclipse that was in 2017 in August of 2017. Mm -hmm. I, I went up to Oregon to see it. And I would highly recommend that anybody that has not been very lucky to be in the actual path of totality of a real solar eclipse, you know, definitely take your time out to make that happen to pilgrimage for yourself to bring that into, into manifestation because it's very worth it. It's essentially the most cosmic thing that you'll do that it's the most divine experience I've had outside of, you know, while being in inside a personal external experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah. That's interesting. And <clears throat> you're right. I think when, when one can really be balanced and see that neither side is better or worse. It's just that they're, they're both needed. It's like a complementarity instead of a polarity or a duality. Um, right. And I think that the ancients didn't think that these dynamics were a coincidence, right? We have systems of cosmology in the East where you see elements of deities such as like Rahu or Ketu or, Shiva, you know, that were seen as elements that would bring into manifestation the eclipse or one one deity would be, you know, the sun deity that would be swallowing the moon and vice versa. And mm -hmm. it would show us that through, it, again, more teachings that uniting the opposites is essentially a way, a way to ever so slightly awaken to some level of cosmic power and, you know, remind us who we are deep inside. Yeah. And maybe there's some aspect of destruction involved in that, too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's like, you know, we have a lot of fires here in California now and people are so freaked out by fires. And of course, having, you know, your home threatened or something is a very practical, like fear-based dynamic. But, you know, fire is such a natural destructive process and it's part of nature. And, you know, the, fire, the forests obviously need fire in the very long run to survive. You know, in a short run, it's very environmentally worrisome, uh, especially with what you see going on in the rainforest, for example. But in the long long, if you think of things in terms of deep time, I mean, the destruction of fire is crucial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the point of the film was just to show that through these, some of these aspects that we've hinted on, that we are always able to receive information from various sources of divine, divine infinitude through aspects of balance and what we are shown above us in the, you know, celestial heavens. And again, equilibrium key. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
So transmutation, it's just like on a different level than, than the uh, Balanced Opposites video. Why don't you tell the listeners about this? This is a I mean, this is a kind of special project, and uh, obviously uh, you did a lot of work, uh, and it's just on a totally different level. So I'll oh, thank describe you, it. Yeah, it was, a, it was definitely about three or four side years of work for my life, and it was something that, it's a feature film that we made completely 100% independently. You know, it's very rare that you will find a true independent film, which just consists of a couple guys that decided to make something on their own, and I'm, I'm lucky because my back past skill set has kind of synchronistically allowed me to have a current skill set that allows me to bring that to be an independent filmmaker that can make something with very limited resources, you know, which involves having numerous legs to my alchemical cauldron, which consists of things such as, you know, being able to direct things and shoot things and edit things. And it's not ideal to do that if you have proper budget, but if you have very limited resources and time, you can put to get together things that are very quite special with limited resources. So this collabor- this project is a collaboration with Neil Kramer and myself. And I know Neil is no stranger to, to your podcast. And Neil is somebody that has certainly been a teacher of mine and I have such a deep love for. And it's interesting, Neil's wife, Marin, is also featured in the film. And she's somebody that is, I, I feel, uh, very much at times as knowledgeable uh, as Neil in practices of esotericism and what we might say is the path of spiritual growth, but the the 10,000 foot, the the kind of sales pitch to be markety about it is that it's essentially a film about the danger and beauty of a hidden spiritual path and highlights some that some folks that have transformed themselves by walking it. And the film is kind of veiled in alchemical, I I don't want to say symbolism, but it's got alchemical themes in it, essentially, because what I've seen going on in my life, just by slow gears turning through the years, I can tell is an alchemical process. And so the film highlights alchemically certain people who have essentially gone through change in their lives that are seeing the result of becoming stronger, more empowered people through the through the work that is put in, right? Like the work that you put in should show results on the outside. So the film is basically primarily, uh, Neil wrote the film and, you know, Neil is somebody that is essentially a real mystic and he doesn't really need to say he's a mystic. Most people don't necessarily know, even know what a mystic is or what mysticism is. And I think of somebody like Manly P. Hall, who was a 33rd degree Mason and a mystic. And, you know, he would, he, Neil, Manly P. Hall didn't need to say what he was. It just was very obvious what he was through the, the quality of his material. But uh, through my various teachings by Neil, he, uh, it was, I proposed doing this film to him, and he essentially ended up writing the movie. So this film is essentially written by a mystic. It's a feature film written by a mystic. And I know it's rare to see something along the lines of like a feature film independently made or not diving into areas of occultism or esotericism. I know most of the fo- folks that you speak to, Greg, are authors, for example. I mean, you might see it a lot on the page. But we wanted to make something that had some level of depth or insight and transmission to it that you might find from a really insightful text, but then have a visual component too, right? And as somebody that's an essayist, that's always what I'm trying to do because documentaries are essentially just essays, longer from essays, with visuals associated. So one aspect of what I try to do in terms of uniting beauty with wisdom is to use Neil's written words and voiceover 
and combine those with my skill set of bringing beauty, having the visual component of it have equal beauty to the substance level of what's being said narratively, right? And so there, there is an association with beauty and truth, right? Like we look at beautifulness in a Renaissance painting, or we look at something that is seen in nature, and there's a truthful aspect to that. And I think it was Manly P. Hall that says, said something to the extent once of all true things are beautiful and all ugly things are untrue. So making a film that hopefully is beautiful and also has some of the production values that would go along with something that can hopefully stand the test of time was the goal with also having something that had deep philosophical wisdom of it, of, of a spiritual philosophic film that embodied kind of esoteric concepts of people doing massive changes through their life and also being a delivery system where you could see it done. It, it was something that would reach out to people because of just the quality of the, of the cinematic filmmaking that would bring people in that wouldn't necessarily be willing to sit down and read in a cold book, for example. You know, more people these days are obviously willing to watch something than read something. So the film is, operates somewhat at more of a surface level for those that are uninitiated into aspects of deeper level things. But then on another level, the film operates on multiple levels is what I'm getting at. So people that are in the know that might know many of the concepts being shared throughout the film and what Neil's narrating will get more juicy secret codes out of deeper levels of it, both in terms of what's shown to them visually and what he's saying kind of metaphorically through our kind of twilight language that is often spoke of a, spoken of in very dense deep things, right? So that was the goal for the film. And I think we, I, I think we achieved that. I, I'm very proud of it. And I thank you for saying that, dude. It's something that we've released a, probably about a year and a half ago from the time of this recording. And it's the complete opposite of standard operating procedure movie where, you know, in the box office, it needs to make its X number of dollars on the opening night or else it's considered a failure. We, we want to make something that was polar opposite of that, except so much of unreal, the mainstream lamestream unreality signal is mirrored back to front. We wanted to make something that would quietly kind of slowly release that maybe you'd never even heard of and that you could watch in 10 years from now and it would be equally as compelling and interesting. It's not like it's going to get stupid. You know, it's going to be timeless, hopefully. Yeah, no, I think you definitely accomplished that because even, you know, watching the, the trailer for it now, it feels just as fresh as it did, you know, when it first came out. And it's... It's just really well done, I think. Um, so I think you all, you all did a really, really good job with the whole project. So I'm curious to see uh, how, you know, the effect of it over time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, mate. And I, I, the film is basically just for those that aren't familiar with it. It's in, it does follow the standard kind of three act structure that a film does. And we use the alchemical processes of essentially the blackness, redness, whiteness of Negredo, Rubedo and Albedo as the acts for the film. So the first act is essentially showing the, the blackening process of, these are all of course, esoteric processes. The first act is showing just the disillusion people have with the world today and then people in the second act are essentially we're highlighting aspects of people searching for more meaning and usefulness. And then in the third act, we show people that are have actually done some level of the process. So that love that's what does I think connect with people. And I agree that 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 will make it so that in the long run somebody could watch it in thirty years and get just as much out of it as the day it originally came out. And and when you create a kind of seminal work 
whether this is or not, it's something that you could watch many years from now and it'd still be as good as day one. So that's what I, I, if I, even if I'm a filmmaker that forever is a very obscure off the beaten path, you know, occult and esoteric filmmaker. And if you want to talk about obscurity, I mean, being an independent filmmaker is already obscure. Talk about being one that focuses on occult and esoteric concepts. That's like three layer. That's like obscurity cubed. So even if that's the case and I just make a few films in my life, it's like I'd I'd much rather spend four or five years putting a lot of side work into something that's a labor of love that has that timeless aspect to it. You know, just like anybody that puts so many years into a single piece of art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should show that. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um. What was it like working with Neil Kramer? It was great. You know, I mean, we have these aspects where we know somebody's material publicly, but we don't know them so much privately. And Neil is such a joy to be with privately as he is publicly. And we talk about transmission of knowledge and insight from teacher to student. I mean, Neil is certainly one of my teachers. And during the three years we made this movie, it was about four years for me because there was a lot of times when I was shooting extra footage you know, and other places throughout the world to capture elements of it. But through the two to three years when Neil and I were together making it, much of it was shot in the Pacific Northwest up in, you know, the deep old growth forests of Oregon, some of it in Northern California, a little bit in Washington. But a lot of that was just my time with Neil and kind of transmission, you know, walking through the old growth forest with a mystic, getting real insight on things. And so it was not only something that creating a a film that has no paycheck, no reward in you know material commerce right away it's it's going to be a labor of love it feels like my real paycheck was getting a lot of insightful time with neil and a lot of transmissions through him Mm. about things that like i see with your teacher greg you know things that can be recorded or else things that are only told from teacher to student privately in very subtle ways right so that's what i mentioned kind of in the beginning of this conversation is using some of these projects as ways to actually get out there and experience aspects of things. It's like when you're, when you're an author and you're in your study writing your book, you're kind of armchairing it. But when you actually have to go out and research, you know, your book on some ancient civilization, you got to get out there and do it. So that's part of our process of getting out there. And so making a documentary film can be a massive undertaking and many documentaries take many years to make. But if you're doing it on something that you're very passionate about, which these subjects, of course, just resonate with me. It doesn't even feel like it's work at all as we should create work that gives us energy and doesn't take away energy. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Always, always. A, yeah. I, I mean, that's so important because the whole spiritual path is an endeavor requires so much energy that you can't be wasting any and you have to engage in activities that create more of it. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's so crucial to how we spend our time. And, you know, spend, we, we literally are spending our time. So in terms of something like the processes of what I, I try and create, it's like a, I, I give myself space in life so that I'm time rich, right? You, you may have less monetary reward through some of the things that we we create in these areas. And we know how small numbers, some of them can be, especially through processes that are, are people that are actually really doing the real processes. You know, we have several layers to the, there's the kind of the exoteric, mesoteric, esoteric levels of people that are, how many people are really actually doing real shit. <laughs> I think that it's a small number, but it takes, when you're passionate about stuff and you actually put in effort, 
and you're doing that through some sort of way that you can do it through a project and then get maybe a reward out of it. And that's a great piece of art while you actually are transformed a bit through the process as well. That's, that's like endless, endless reward that, you know, no, no system can pay for, you know, that's true. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about an infinite path, your podcast. Yeah. Well, An Infinite Path is a podcast on essentially life growth, balance, and creativity. And then, of course, I almost sometimes say the expansion of human consciousness, which is similar to growth through our life, isn't it? But it's it's interesting. The podcast is something that I do periodically. It's It's something that I average about one episode a month for. And it's really just something where I almost use it as an aspect of documenting various fulfilling and life-changing conversations that I would have regardless of whether or not I was trying to make some commercially successful podcast, right? So it's, it, it's the, much like my filmmaking work, that work, it's, I'm always trying to insert quality over it, quality over any sort of commerciality with it. So it's kind of one of those things where if you're lucky enough to find it, then good for you. And it's, I don't even know how people would know about it because I do little to no anti-social networking regarding it. But it's basically just my documenting my journey of conversations and realizations through fellowship that are oftentimes people I would be interested in communicating with or I have future plans to collaborate with. So, for example, on most of my film projects, almost everybody I've had or that I've collaborated with has come out of doing the podcast. Nice. So I would highly recommend if people are always feeling isolated or remote or like, you know, Lord knows it's hard to find, especially in subjects of occultism, people to really other nodes to really connect to. It's like start a podcast, you know, and, and don't set any, my, my wise words for a podcast and you and I were certainly <laughs> sharing some insight on this, Greg, in our previous, previous conversation is don't, don't set yourself up with any schedule. You know, it's so antithetical to your spiritual process to give yourself some very strict clockwork, rigid timed schedule. Just do it on your own time and, you know, have conversations with people that a podcast will give you a vehicle to let you reach out to people whose insights you might want to know about or, or speak to. And there is something to do with the fact of when you very, when you specifically speak to somebody else one-on-one, -on -one, there is larger insight given there versus just listening to other people talk. I, oh, I have found yeah, that. I mean, you, absolutely. Yeah. You can listen to a thousand podcasts and be captain expert on every podcast, but until you actually have those conversations, it's, it's almost like you're in a, a, a deeper unconscious frame of mind where you get more insight by actually being the one by doing instead of just being on the sidelines. It puts you on the field when yeah, you're the one. There's so much to be said for doing as opposed to just not doing. I mean, in order to be, you have to be able to do. So yeah, I would agree. Like, and it, it couldn't be any easier to do a podcast than it is now. So right. For sure. Yeah. And I, I basically find that, Using a skill set where having a filmmaking skill set is really applicable to a podcast because there are some technical challenges people have, and you do need to be able to edit you know, audio and such. But I also do these spoken word essays for the podcast, and an essay is essentially I, I write the essays out. I'm, I've never written a book, but I do fancy myself a bit of an essayist. And having a component where I then record the spoken word voice of the essay. And then, you know, release those as essentially sub episodes for the podcast. 
it's it's just like me making sub documentary films that I don't necessarily put visuals associated with, right? Yeah. And to yeah. highlight what I had spoken of earlier in this conversation about the spoken word and the importance of that, the transmission of spoken word from the bottom up and the crucial element of how that's always existed through the history of, of the lineage of esotericism mm. is that, you know, knowing that you, you, you got such insight out of the lucky, something that was luckily handed down, right? Like you listen to an old Manly P hall lecture that was actually recorded and got downloads from that. The beauty of that spoken word being available, not only are, le are less people willing to read, they're more likely to watch. It's like more people are willing, willing to listen than they are necessarily to read. So if you can, have a spoken component to things, that's great as well. And being an essayist is nice because you can transmit some of your learned knowledge through the, through the form of an essay. And um, when you're always on the interview side of a mic, it, I know that sometimes for you, for example, Greg, it's like you'll, you'll be asking questions to a guest where you actually know more about the subject than the guest, but you're on the side of the mic where you're always having to ask them questions, ask King, you know, you're, you're as King, but it, when you, the essays came about as a way to just kind of transmit more information. So I wasn't the one always constantly only asking. So yeah, that's how no, I can appreciate yeah. that. That's part of the reason I enjoy doing things for the chamber of reflection website, which is more esoteric in many ways and just having conversations or, uh, I don't know if you'd call it lectures really, but it's like, I don't consider it an essay because I'm not, really I don't write it all out ahead of time and it's more of just extemporaneous sort of talking about a particular topic so I like to do that a lot right it's nice it's, it allows you to have a switch up for it yeah and, and to make something that's your own piece of audio it helps you understand self more right another aspect of hearing yourself is so crucial in your own self-development because most people that have never heard themselves recorded, like most, most folks that first hear a recording of their voice don't like it. They don't like an aspect of self, right? right? They're, they're, they're self-deprecating of the voice. And to put yourself out there with your voice is crucial because you come to learn more about your speaking patterns and your inflection and your professionalism and your communication skills. And we know that a key aspect of your development is, can you communicate things well? Are you articulate? Can you speak about things well? And people that whose work I originally found through my processes, again, I always reference back to somebody like Manly P. Hall. Think of what a phenomenal speaker he was and what a, what a good speaker doing your podcast has made you. You know, most, be, most people if you ask, there, there's no way they could sit down for an hour and have an insightful, interesting conversation or have that much to say, especially in a monologue form like he could. Yeah, so right. it showed how developed and deep he was that he could just sit down and go for two hours and be articulate and not be all, you know, spaghetti sauce and his bad communication. You know, most people talk way too fast. I've learned to, I still sometimes talk fast, but I've learned to try and slow down. Most people use too many connecting words in their speech. Mm -hmm. And it just makes you a better communicator, which essentially makes you more of a professional in many ways through life. Communication is key. Communication is key. And especially when you're talking about esoteric subjects where they're difficult to grasp, they're difficult to transmit, even in an intellectual context. 
So communication is so important, you know, word choice, the way you are able to put together your thoughts and deliver the information in such a way. You know, it's also a matter of doing it so that the not only are you clear, but that the other person understands. And those are actually two different things, as crazy as that might be. Yes. And, you know, we know that somebody that's very developed can transmit insight in a very short period of time. And sometimes through monologuing or rant, like philosophically rambling, which I certainly feel like I can do, I've, I've tried to be as insightful as quickly as possible using the least amount of words. And I know, for example, like your teacher at this current part in our astrological calendar that you have is seems to be pretty good at that for you, Greg. It's like they can blow you away and give you a face melting statement in, in two sentences. <laughs> so not only is being a strong communicator in presence and mind show that you're developed shows again your your internal the inside's the cause the outside is is the effect so you should see outwardly manifesting the 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 seeds the fruit of the work in how you present yourself and how you transmit to others but then also the ability to do it very quickly and efficiently is even like another layer to that right where you can be a good speaker but you can still kind of ramble and gobbledygook and or else you can deliver things very quickly and efficiently and that certainly helps on many aspects and layers of your life. For sure. Yeah. Well, I might be putting you on the spot, but I'm wondering if you have any method, like esoteric practices or methods that you could share with people listening that might help them, that they could try, um, that you found useful. I do. I have a daily meditation practice and I have been doing, you know, through some of the ritualistic practices that you've sp spoken of many times in the past that I've certainly tried. And it's kind of like try a, try a certain ritual at a certain time of the day, see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, you know, try a specific other thing. Um, there's some of the Paul, Paul Case dynamics uh, where he mentioned certain, what is it? It's like, it's not inferences, but certain prayers to say specifically at the time at the morning at night and mm -hmm. you know face yeah, east like in the morning adorations to the sun yeah adorations to the sun you know face east in the morning and then west in the evening mm -hmm. and do those on you know for the sun in the morning and the and at, at sunset in the evening which i think is kind of more for night in, in the at nighttime those i've been doing more in it but in terms of speaking i think that the really best thing you can do and whether or not this is esoteric is like we've mentioned, is just hearing yourself, right? So recording yourself, there's nothing like outside objectivity to really be able to witness what makes you better. And like you would, like you would hear, it's like so many people think that they're one thing, but don't actually really objectively get points of view on things. It's like, there's no better way to have somebody credit, like look over a piece of what you've created, whatever your creations are, and get outside objective input from something. And so by recording yourself, that's one way to do that. Esoterically, I think there are things that you can do where you can mentally be very meditative on certain practices to do with, with the voice, but there's nothing quite like actually just doing it through practice, through external hearings. So it's mm -hmm. like externally hearing yourself versus some mentation or some daily meditation on 
specifics with that. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. <laughs> I appreciate you, Greg, always. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. And Niles, so really wonderful to talk with you. And I always uh, have enjoyed your work and look forward to more interviews and whatever else other projects you put out. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. You know, and I, I, in closing, I just want to share one thing that's a little bit of a story about you, Greg, for your listeners of this that will give a little bit more insights on this because we had had a previous conversation and there was an aspect of it that was public. And then there was an aspect of it that was private through our communication. And I had asked you, oftentimes I feel like if somebody comes to me for sharing some sort of insight or in a private consultation sense, which I very tertiarily find myself occasionally doing, I'm usually the one that's transmitting insight and, and learnings to them and giving them advice. But in our previous private aspect of our conversation, I had checked in with you on something specific to somebody that the actual details of which who this individual is, is not important. But for your listeners perspective, I asked you something kind of trying to get some insight from you on it. And your answer, your private answer that you told me really blew me away, man. So that showed me that you're doing the work and because I know it when I encounter it. So I always think that we hear people's voices publicly sometimes, but then we don't get the chance to privately get insights from them or real communications from them. So, you know, all of that life force that you take in through processes should be put into some sort of constructive action. And we know that, you know, through the kind of fear and terror that the masses just let wash over them, it seems like many people are de-evolving these days, don't it? Doesn't it? But I can see that we, we are the ones through actually trying to do some level of the work at whatever level we can, should be kind of on the front lines of the evolution of consciousness. And so your answer really blow, blowing me away really showed like, wow, I can tell that Greg's really getting results out of whatever level he's at at his stage in his development. So I really appreciated that. I just wanted to share that with your listeners that I was extremely impressed with this wowing answer that you gave me. Wow. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I, I, it didn't strike me as that in way when we talked. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad it had that effect, though. <laughs> no, well, sometimes you, you don't even know why you're telling somebody something. Mm. But then it it's almost like you just, it came about through synchronicity. And then you realize that you, you, you were doing it so that you could get a specific, it's like you already know something, but you need somebody else to tell it to you, right? Which mm -hmm. is a classic aspect of, I think, transmission. And so you're, you in that, in that regard, I share that in information about you because I got exactly kind of what I needed in that. It's not like I would have been empty or less whole without it, but just to get it was like a little gem of yumminess. It's like a little ball of light transferred from one person to the other. You can take that with you. And I found that through conversations I've had, even if you have a, a chat that's not going very well, or there's some aspect of it's weird or the, the, ho the not the host, the guest is strange. It's almost like you always get one gem, one life-changing little seed of excellence oh, that yeah. made that whole conversation worthwhile. Yeah, right? I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah. Even if, even if the vast majority of it was weird or wanky or kind of bland, it's like some, suddenly one thing is said and you're like, whoa, face melter that was completely applicable to where I'm at in my path right now. And that's, I needed to hear that. And that's yeah. why this conversation is happening. Yeah. Those are, those are, very good moments to reflect on like 
how it is that we're resistant to whatever's going on. And then when you're not and just go with it, like it's like a miraculous thing somehow. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, um, well, yeah, man. I mean, love through light to you, Greg. And, you know, for anybody that's listening, um, any, any pairs of ears to hear that are listening to this, you know, uh, inward and upward. And all my stuff can be found at nileshackman.com. That's where I exist on the uh, mesh network of the internet tubes. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And I highly recommend your podcast and your videos, especially this transmutation film. And uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure, you know, from the interview, people have heard that uh, they'll be happy to check your work out because it's it's like a, a voice of sanity in the in the world of the insane <laughs> honor it's such an honor to hear yeah you know and that's i think that's what we again back to looking inside it's it, you don't want any practice that disassociates you from the world i mean your spirituality is this 3d material realm you know we exist here for in this amazing terrarium of life as a learning lab to teach us things and so i think it's so empowering to find sources that help your internal processes and that I've always found that's when I mentioned that I've been a listener of your podcast for a long time. It's given me tools that have helped me along with other sources. And I encourage people to seek out these sources that do the same for them, right? Yeah, they don't, completely. Yeah, they don't need to look at the vast, vast majority of people are so low resonated down through things that are this, yes, bonkersness. And when you find sources that hopefully are empowering empowering. You know, if your podcasts, plural, are doing that for people, that's great. Maybe if some of the material that I'm sharing does that, that's an honor. I think that's what the ears to hear are all about, right? And that's what—that's why we put out these efforts, even though it may be to a smaller, more sophisticated and enlightened audience. You're still doing your part to help people get away from these outside sources of, of drudgery and doom and gloom and get to places that are more fundamentally empowering that lead to much more light completely completely true yeah i'll do whatever i can to support people on their path and their journey towards greater wholeness and awareness because you're right most everything else in this world is going to be pulling them in the exact opposite direction so if there's you know little lifelines out there then whoever needs to find them will find them and it's it's all worth it absolutely yeah all right well thanks for doing what you do niles thank you mate yeah i appreciate it in the chamber of reflection at chamberofreflection.com if you haven't already please check out the recent recording about how to get your spiritual practice lit in 15 steps these are the ways that i've learned to deepen one's understanding of spiritual path and practice and if followed with sincerity they will change your life also i'm preparing another exclusive recording for members on the practice of virtue and its benefits that will be ready within a few days of the release of this podcast listen to those exclusive recordings at chamberofreflection.com or at our Patreon at patreon.com slash occult of personality. 
And I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts and the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash personality. And if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you. Thanks for listening, and until next time.